Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Drabble Classics, a fan-hosted series that features fan-picked stories from the Drabblecast archives, remastered and brought to you with new exciting commentary from strange listeners such as yourself. Enjoy. Hello, weirdos. Abby Hilton here. Sometime around 2008, I was listening to Escape Pod and encountered Norm's voice as either a guest reader or a guest singer, I can't remember which. I was promised content that would be both funny and weird if I would just follow him home to the Drabblecast, and I was a lot less cautious back then, so I did that. After listening to Norm tell me stories about tapeworms, alien brain eggs, and clowns, I said to myself, I should definitely ask this guy to voice a character in my full cast epic, because there are tapeworms in that too. I emailed him and said something like, hey, I'd love to cast you as my charismatic, sociopathic, sometimes hero, sometimes villain fox person in a high seas adventure with dragons. The story is about a bajillion words long, and FYI, there's some gay stuff. Are you down for that? To my shock, he said, sure. So we embarked on a five-year production called The Guild of the Cowrie Catchers, which wrapped up in 2014, and which you can still find in podcast form as well as a remastered, shinier, audible edition. The story I want to introduce to you today is called Boojum, and it first ran on Drabblecast back in April of 2011. I was smack in the middle of producing The Guild of the Cowrie Catchers, and Norm was smack in the middle of recording lines that even he thought were pretty weird. Anyone who has listened to that story could probably guess that I adored Elizabeth Bear and Sarah Monet's trio of Boojum-verse tales. There were three of these stories. They are Mongoose, Boojum, and The Wreck of the Charles Dexter Ward. They feature a Lovecraftian world in space, with terminology borrowed from Lewis Carroll, and occasional nods to other classics like The Jungle Book. They are full of wonderfully strange biology and lovable monsters, and as soon as I saw that, I said, sign me up. Boojum didn't run in Lovecraft month, but it easily could have. It's a true horror story, but also strangely hopeful. This is my favorite kind of take on Lovecraft. I hope you enjoy it too. The ship had no name of her own. So her human crew called her the Lavinia Watley. As far as anyone could tell, she didn't mind. At least her long grasping veins curled affectionately when the chief engineers patted her bulkheads and called her Vinny, and she ceremoniously tracked the footsteps of each crew member with her internal bioluminescence, giving them light to walk and work and live by. The Lavinia Watley was a budgem, a deep space swimmer, But her kind had evolved in the high, tempestuous envelopes of gas giants, and their offspring still spent their infancies there, in cloud nurseries over eternal storms. And so she was streamlined, 
something like a vast, spiny lionfish to the Earth-adapted eye. Her sides were lined with gas bags filled with hydrogen, her veins and wings furled tight. Her color was a blue-green so dark it seemed a glossy black unless the light struck it. Her hide was impregnated with symbiotic algae. Where there was light, she could make oxygen. Where there was oxygen, she could make water. She was an ecosystem unto herself, as the captain was a law unto herself. And down in the bowels of the engineering section, Black Alice Bradley, who was only human and no kind of law at all, loved her. Black Alice had taken the oath back in two after the Venusian riots. She hadn't hid her reasons, and the captain had looked at her with cold, dark, amused eyes and said, So long as you carry your weight, Cherie, I don't care. Betray me, though, and you'll be going back to Venus the cold way. But it was probably that, and the fact that Black Alice couldn't hit the broadside of a space freighter with the ray gun, that had gotten her assigned to engineering, where ethics were less of a problem. It wasn't, after all, as if she was going anywhere. Black Alice was on duty when the Lavinia Watley spotted prey. She felt a shiver of anticipation that ran through the decks of the ship. It was an odd sensation, a tick Vinnie only exhibited in pursuit. And then, they were underway, zooming down the slope of the gravity well toward Seoul, and the screens all around engineering, which Captain Song kept dark most of the time on the theory that swabs and deckhands and coal shovelers didn't need to know where they were or what they were doing, flickered bright and live. Everybody looked up. The blot that might only have been a smudge of oil on the screen moved as Vinny banked, revealing itself to be a freighter big and ungainly and hopelessly outclassed. Easy prey, easy pickings. We could use some of them, thought Black Alice. Contrary to the e-ballads and calm stories, a pirate's life was not all imported delicacies and fawning slaves, especially not when three-quarters of any and all profits went directly back to the Lavinia Watley to keep her healthy and happy. Nobody ever argued. There were stories about the Marie Curie, too. The captain's voiceover fiber optic cable, strung beside the Lavinia Watley's nerve bundles, was as clear and free of static as if she stood at Black Alice's elbow. Battle stations, Captain Song said, and the crew leapt to obey. It had been two solars since Captain Song keelhauled James Brady, but nobody who'd been with the ship then was ever likely to forget his ruptured eyes and frozen scream. Black Alice manned her station and stared at the screen. She saw the freighter's name, the Josephine Baker, gold on black across the stern, the Venusian flag for its port of registry wired stiff from a mast on its hull. It was a steel ship, not a bujum, and they had every advantage. For a moment, she thought the freighter would run. And then it turned and brought its guns to bear. No sense of movement of acceleration, of disorientation. No pop, no wump of displaced air. The view on the screens just flickered to a different one as Vinny skipped, aported, to a new position just aft and above the Josephine Baker, crushing the flag mast with her hull. Black Alice felt that, a grinding shiver, 
and had just time to grab her console before the Lavinia Watley grappled the freighter, long veins not curling out in affection now. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Dog Collar, the closest thing that Lavinia Watley had to a chaplain, cross himself, and she heard him mutter, like he always did, Ave grandiavissimi morituri vos salutant. It was the best he'd be able to do until it was all over, and even then he wouldn't have the chance to do much. Captain Song didn't mind other people worrying about souls, so long as they didn't do it on her time. The captain's voice was calling orders, assigning people to boarding parties, port, and starboard. Down in engineering, all they had to do was monitor the Lavinia Watley's hull and prepare to repel boarders, assuming the freighter's crew had the gumption to send any. Vinny would take care of the rest. Until the time came to persuade her not to eat her prey before they'd gotten all the valuables off it. That was a ticklish job, only entrusted to the chief engineers. But Black Alice watched and listened, and although she didn't expect she'd ever get the chance, she thought she could do it herself. It was a small ambition, and one she never talked about. But it would be a hell of a thing, wouldn't it? To be somebody a Bujum would listen to? She gave her attention to the dull screens in her sectors and tried not to crane her neck to catch a glimpse of the ones with the actual fighting on them. Dog Collar was making the rounds with sidearms from the weapons locker, just in case. Once the Josephine Baker was subdued, it was the junior engineers and others who would board her and take inventory. Sometimes there were crew members left in hiding on captured ships. Sometimes unwary pirates got shot. There was no way to judge the progress of the battle from engineering. Wasabi put a stopwatch up on one of the secondary screens, as usual, and everybody glanced at it periodically. Fifteen minutes ongoing meant the boarding parties hadn't hit any nasty surprises. Black Alice had met a man once who'd been on the Margaret Mead when she grappled a freighter that turned out to be carrying a division's worth of marines out to the Jehovian moons. Thirty minutes ongoing was normal. Forty-five minutes... Upward of an hour ongoing, and people started double-checking their weapons. The longest battle Black Alice had ever personally been part of was 6 hours, 43 minutes, and 52 seconds. That had been the last time the Lavinia Watley worked with a partner, and the double cross by the Henry Ford was the only reason any of Vinny's crew needed. Captain Song still had Captain Edward's head in a jar on the bridge, and Vinny had an ugly ring of scars where the Henry Ford had bitten her. This time, the clock stopped at 50 minutes, 13 seconds. The Josephine Baker surrendered. Dog Collar slapped Black Alice's arm. With me, he said, and she didn't argue. He had only six weeks seniority over her, but he was as tough as he was devout, and not stupid either. She checked the Velcro on her holster and followed him up the ladder, reaching through the rungs once to scratch Vinny's bulkhead as she passed. The ship paid her no notice. She wasn't the captain, and she wasn't one of the four chief engineers. Quartermaster mostly respected crew's own partner choices, and as Black Alice and Dog Collar suited up, it wouldn't be the first time if the Josephine Baker's crew decided to blow her open to space rather than be taken captive, he came by and issued them both tag guns and x-ray pads, taking a retina scan in return. All sorts of valuable things got hidden inside of bulkheads, and once Vinny was done with the steel ship, there wouldn't be much of a chance of coming back to look for what they missed. Wet pirates used to scuttle their captures. The Bujums were more efficient. 
Black Alice clipped everything to her belt and checked dog collar seals. And then they were swinging down lines from the Lavinia Watley's belly to the chewed open airlock. A lot of crew didn't like the look of the ship's face, but Black Alice loved it. All those teeth, the diamond edges worn to a glitter, and a few of the ship's dozens of bright sapphire eyes blinking at her. She waved unselfconsciously and flattered herself that the ripple of closing eyes was Vinny winking in return. She followed Dog Collar inside the prize. They unsealed when they checked the atmosphere. No sense of wasting your own air when you might need it later. And the first thing she noticed was the smell. The Lavinia Watley had her own smell, ozone and nutmeg, and other ships never smelled as good, but this was... This was... Oh, why did I kill and why didn't I spice it? Dog collar wheezed, and Black Alice swallowed hard against her gag reflex and said, One will get you twenty, and we're the lucky bastards that find it. No takers. They worked together to crank the open hatches they came to. Twice they found crew members, messily dead. Once they found crew members alive. Gillies, said Black Alice. Still don't explain the smell, Dog Collar said, and to the Gillies. Look, you can join our crew, or our ship can eat you. Makes no never mind to us. The Gillies blinked their big wet eyes and made finger signs at each other and then nodded, hard. Dog Collar slapped a tag on the bulkhead. Someone'll come get you. You go wandering, we'll assume you've changed your mind. The Gillies shook their heads, hard, and folded down onto the deck to wait. Dog collar tagged searched holds. Green for clean, purple for goods, red for anything Vinny might like to eat that couldn't be fenced for a profit, and Black Alice mapped. The corridors in the steel ship were winding, twisty, hard to track. She was glad she chalked the walls because she didn't think her map was quite right somehow, but she couldn't figure out where she'd gone wrong. Still, they had a beacon, and Vinny could always chew them out if she had to. Black Alice loved her ship. She was thinking about how, okay, it wasn't so bad, the pirate game, and how it sure beat working in the sunstone mines on Venus, when she found a locked cargo hold. Hey, dog collar, she said on her comm, and while he was turning to cover her, she pulled her sidearm and blasted the lock. The door peeled back, and Black Alice found herself staring at rank upon rank of silver cylinders, each less than a meter tall and perhaps half a meter wide, smooth and featureless, except for what looked like an assortment of sockets and plugs on the surface of each. The smell was strongest here. Shit, she said. Dog collar, more practical, slapped the first safety orange tag of the expedition beside the door and said only, Captain will want to see this. Yeah, said Black Alice, cold chills chasing themselves up and down her spine. Come on, let's move. But of course it turned out that she and Dog Collar were on the retrieval detail too, and the captain wasn't leaving the canisters for Vinny. Which, okay, fair. Black Alice didn't want the Lavinia Watley eating those things either, but why did they have to bring them back? She said as much to Dog Collar under her breath and had a horrifying thought. She knows what they are, right? She's the captain, said Dog Collar. Yeah, but... I ain't arguing, man, but if she doesn't know... She lowered her voice even further so she could barely hear herself. What if somebody opens one? 
Dog Collar gave her a pained look. Nobody's going to go opening anything. But if you're really worried, go talk with the captain about it. He was calling her bluff. Black Alice called his right back. Come with me? He was stuck. He stared at her, and then he grunted and pulled his gloves off, the right and then the left. Oh, shit. He said. I guess we order. For the crew members who had been in the boarding action, the party had already started. Dog Collar and Black Alice tracked the captain down to the rec room where her marines were slurping stolen wine from broken-necked bottles. As much of it splashed on the gravity plates epoxied to the Lavinia Watley's flattest interior surface as went into the marines, but Black Alice imagined there was plenty more where that came from, and the faster the crew went through it, the less long they'd be drunk. The captain herself was naked in a great extruded tub, up to her collarbones in steaming water dyed pink and heavily scented by the bath bomb sizzling here and there. Black Alice stared. She hadn't seen a tub in seven years. Still dreamed of them sometimes. Captain, she said, because Dog Collar wasn't going to say anything, we think you should know we found some dangerous cargo on the prize. Captain Song raised one eyebrow. And you imagine I don't know already, Sherry? Oh, shit. But Black Alice stood her ground. We thought we should be sure. The captain raised one long leg out of the water to shove a pair of necking pirates off the rim of her tub. They rolled onto the floor, grappling and crawling, both fighting to be on top. But they didn't break the kiss. You wish to be sure, said the captain. Her dark eyes had never left Black Alice's sweating face. Very well. Tell me. And then you will know that I know. And you can be sure. Dog Collar made a grumbling noise deep in his throat, easily interpreted. I told you so. Just as she had when she took Captain Song's oath and slit her thumb with a razor blade and dripped her blood on the Lavinia Watley's decking so the ship might know her, Black Alice, metaphorically speaking, took a breath and jumped. They're brains, she said. Human brains. Stolen. Black market. The fungi. Me go. Dog Collar hissed, and the captain grinned at him, showing extraordinarily white, strong teeth. He ducked submissively, but didn't step back, for which Black Alice felt a completely ridiculous gratitude. Migo, Black Alice said. Migo, fungi, what did it matter? They came from the outer rim of the solar system, the black, cold, hurtling rocks of the opic Urt cloud. Like the Bujums, they could swim between the stars. They collect them. There's a black market. Nobody knows what they use them for. It's illegal, of course, but they're alive in there. They go mad, supposedly. And that was it. That was all Black Alice could manage. She stopped and had to remind herself to shut her mouth. So I've heard, the captain said, dabbling at the steaming water. She stretched luxuriously in her tub. Someone thrust a glass of white wine at her, condensation doing the outside. The captain did not drink from shattered plastic bottles. The Migo will pay for this cargo, won't they? They mine rare minerals all over the system. They're said to be very wealthy. Yes, Captain. Dog Collar said when it became obvious that Black Alice couldn't. Good. 
the captain said. Under Black Alice's feet, the decking shuddered, a grinding sound as Vinny began to dine. Her rows of teeth would make short work of the Josephine Baker's steel hide. Black Alice could see two of the gillies, the same two? She never could tell them apart unless they had scars, flinch and tug at their chains. Then they might as well pay us as someone else, wouldn't you say? Black Alice knew she should stop thinking about the canisters. Captain's word was law, but she couldn't help it, like scratching at a scab. They were down there, in the third subhold, the one even sniffers couldn't find, cold and sweating and with that stench that was like a living thing. And she kept wondering, were they empty or were their brains in there? People's brains going mad. The idea was driving her crazy. And finally, her fourth off shift after the capture of the Josephine Baker, she had to go look. This is stupid, Black Alice, she muttered to herself as she climbed down the companionway, the beads in her hair clicking against her earrings. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Vinny bioluminesced a traveling spotlight placidly unconcerned whether Black Alice was being an idiot or not. Half-hand Sally had pulled duty in the main hold. She nodded at Black Alice, and Black Alice nodded back. Black Alice ran errands a lot for engineering and sometimes other departments because she didn't smoke hash and she didn't cheat at cards. She was reliable. Down through the subholds, and she really didn't want to be doing this, but she was here, and the smell of the third subhold was already making her sick, and maybe if she just knew one way or the other, she'd be able to quit thinking about it. She opened the third subhold, and the stench rushed out. The canisters were just metal, sealed, seemingly airtight. There shouldn't be any way for the aroma of the contents to escape but it permeated the air nonetheless, bad enough that Black Alice wished she had brought a rebreather. No, that would have been suspicious. So it was really best for everyone concerned that she hadn't, but, oh, gods and little fishes, the stench. Even breathing through her mouth was no help. She could taste it, like oil from a fryer, saturating the air, oozing up her sinuses, coating the interior spaces of her body. As silently as possible, she stepped across the threshold and into the space beyond. The Lavinia Watley obligingly lit the space as she entered, dazzling her at first as the overhead lights, not just bioluminescence here, but LEDs, chosen to approximate natural daylight for when they shipped plants and animals, reflected off rank upon rank of canisters. When Black Alice went among them, they did not reach her waist. She was just going to walk through, she told herself. Hesitantly, she touched the closest cylinder. The air in this hold was so dry there was no condensation. The whole ship ran to lip-cracking nosebleed dryness in the long weeks between prizes, but the cylinder was cold. It felt somehow grimy to the touch, gritty and oily like machine grease. She pulled her hand back. It wouldn't do to open the closest one to the door and she realized with that thought that she was planning on opening one. There must be a way to do it, a concealed catch or a code pad. She was an engineer after all. 
She stopped three ranks in, lightheaded with the smell, to examine the problem. It was remarkably simple once you looked for it. There were three depressions on either side of the rim, a little smaller than human fingertips, but spaced appropriately. She laid the pads of her fingers over them and pressed hard, making the flesh deform into the catches. The lids sprang up with a pressured hiss. Black Alice was grateful that even open, it couldn't smell much worse. She leaned forward to peer within. There was a clear membrane over the surface and gelatin or thick fluid underneath. Vinny's lights illuminated it well. It was not empty, and as the light struck the grayish surface of the lump of tissue floating within, Black Alice would have sworn she saw the pathetic, unbodied thing flinch. She scrambled to close the canister again, nearly pinching her fingertips when she clanked it shut. Sorry, she whispered, although dear sweet Jesus, surely the thing couldn't hear her. Sorry, sorry. And then she turned and ran catching her hip a bruising blow against the doorway, slapping the controls to make it close already. And then she staggered sideways, lurching to her knees, and vomited until blackness was spinning in front of her eyes and she couldn't smell or taste anything but bile. Vinny would absorb the former contents of Black Alice's stomach just as she absorbed, filtered, recycled, and excreted all of her crew's wastes. Shaking, Black Alice braced herself back upright and began the long climb out of the holds. And now, the conclusion of Boojum, by Elizabeth Bear and Sarah Manette. In the first subhold, she had to stop, her shoulder against the smooth, velvet slickness of Vinny's skin, her mouth hanging open while her lungs worked. And she knew Vinny wasn't going to hear her because she wasn't the captain or a chief engineer or anyone important. But she had to try anyway, croaking, Vinny, water, please. And no one could have been more surprised than Black Alice Bradley when Vinny extruded a basin and a thin, cool trickle of water began to flow into it. Well, now she knew. And there was still nothing she could do about it. She wasn't the captain, and if she said anything more than she already had, people were going to start looking at her funny. Mutiny kind of funny. And what Black Alice did not need was any more of Captain Song's attention, and especially not for rumors like that. She kept her head down and did her job and didn't discuss her nightmares with anyone. And she had nightmares, all right. Hot and cold running enough, she fancied that she could have filled up the Captain's huge tub with them. She could live with that. But over the next double dozen of shifts, she became aware of something else wrong, and this was worse because it was something wrong with the Lavinia Watley. The first sign was the chief engineers frowning and going into huddles at odd moments. And then Black Alice began to feel it herself, the way Vinny was... She didn't have a word for it because she had never felt anything like it before. She would have said balky, but that couldn't be right. It couldn't. 
but she was more and more sure that Vinny was less responsive somehow, that when she obeyed the captain's orders, it was with a delay. If she were human, Vinny would have been dragging her feet. You couldn't keelhaul a ship for not obeying fast enough. And then, because she was paying attention so hard she was making her own head hurt, Black Alice noticed something else. Captain Song had them cruising the gas giant's orbits, not going in as far as the asteroid belt, not going out as far as Uranus. Nobody Black Alice talked to knew why exactly, but she and Dogcaller figured it was because the captain wanted to go to the Mego without actually getting near the nasty cold rock of their planet. And what Black Alice noticed was that Vinny was less balky, less unhappy when she was headed out, and more and more resistant the closer they got to the asteroid belt. Vinny, she remembered, had been born over Uranus. Do you want to go home, Vinny? Black Alice asked her one late night shift when there was nobody around to care that she was talking to the ship. Is that what's wrong? She put her hand flat on the wall, and although she was probably imagining it, she thought she felt a shiver ripple across Vinny's vast side. Black Alice knew how little she knew, and didn't even contemplate sharing her theory with the chief engineers. They probably knew exactly what was wrong, and exactly what to do to keep the Lavinia Watley from going core meltdown like the Marie Curie had. That was a whispered story. Not the sort of thing anybody talked about except in their hammocks after lights out. The Marie Curie had eaten her own crew. So when Wasabi said, four shifts later, Black Alice, I've got a job for you. Black Alice said, yes, sir, and hoped it would be something that would help the Lavinia Watley be happy again. It was a suit job, he said, replace and repair. Black Alice was going because she was reliable and smart and stayed quiet, and it was time she took on more responsibilities. The way he said it made her first fret because that meant the captain might be reminded of her existence, and then fret because she realized the captain already had been. But she took the equipment he issued, and she listened to the instructions and read schematics and committed them both to memory and her implants. It was a ticklish job, a neural override repair. She had done some fiber optic bundle splicing, but this was going to be a doozy, and she was going to have to do it in stiff, pressurized gloves. Her heart hammered as she sealed her helmet, and not because she was worried about the EVA. This was a chance, an opportunity, a step closer to Chief Engineer. Maybe she had impressed the captain with her discretion after all. She cycled the airlock, snapped her safety harness, and stepped out onto the Lavinia Watley's hide. That deep blue-green like azurite, like the teeming seas of Venus under their swampy eternal clouds, was invisible. They were too far from Seoul. It was a yellow stylus dot, and you had to know where to look for it. Vinny's hide was just black under Black Alice's suit floods. As the airlock cycled shut, though, the Bujum's own bioluminescence shimmered up her veins and along the ridges of her sides, crimson and electric green and acid blue. Vinny must have noticed Black Alice picking her way carefully up her spine with barbed boots. They wouldn't hurt Vinny. Nothing short of a space rock could manage that, but they certainly stuck in there good. The thing Black Alice was supposed to repair was at the principal nexus of Vinny's central nervous system. The ship didn't have anything like what a human or a ghillie would consider a brain. 
There were nodules spread all over her vast body, too slow otherwise. And Black Alice had heard Boojums weren't supposed to be all that smart. Trainable, sure, maybe like an earth monkey. Which was what made it creepy as hell that as she picked her way up Vinny's flank, though up was a courtesy under these circumstances, talking to her all the way she would have sworn Vinny was talking back. Not just tracking her with the lights, as she would always do, but bending some sort of her barbells and veins around as if craning her neck to get a look at Black Alice. Black Alice carefully circumnavigated an eye. She didn't think her boots would hurt it, but it seemed discourteous to stomp across somebody's field of vision, and wondered, only half-eyedly, if she had been sent out on this task not because she was being considered for promotion, but because she was expendable. She was just rolling her eyes and dismissing that as borrowed trouble when she came over a bump on Vinny's back, spotted her goal, and all the ship's lights went out. She tongued on the comm. Wasabi. I got you, Blackie. You just keep doing what you're doing. Yes, sir. But it seemed like her feet stayed stuck in Vinny's hide a little longer than was good, at least 15 seconds before she managed a couple of deep breaths too deep for her limited oxygen supply, so she went briefly dizzy and continued up Vinny's side. Black Alice had no idea what inflammation looked like in a bujum, but she would guess this was it. All around the interface she was meant to repair, Vinny's flesh looked scraped and puffy. Black Alice walked tenderly, wincing, muttering apologies under her breath, and with every step the tendrils coiled a little closer. Black Alice crouched beside the box and began examining connections. The console was about three meters by four, half a meter tall, and fixed firmly into Vinny's hide. It looked like the thing was still functional, but something, a bit of space debris maybe, had dented it pretty good. Cautiously, Black Alice dropped a hand on it. She found the access panel and flipped it open. More red lights than green. A tongue click and she began withdrawing her tethered tools from their holding pouches and arranging them so they would float conveniently around. She didn't hear a thing, of course, but the hide under her boots vibrated suddenly sharply. She jerked her head around, just in time to see one of Vinny's feelers slap her own side five or ten meters away. And then the whole bujum shuddered, contracting, curved into a hard crescent of pain the same way she had when the Henry Ford had taken that chunk out of her hide. And the lights in the access panel lit up all at once, red, red, yellow, red. Black Alice tongued off the send function on her headset microphone so Wasabi wouldn't hear her. She touched the bruised hall, and she touched the dented edge of the console. Vinny, she said, does this hurt? Not that Vinny could answer her, but it was obvious. She was in pain. And maybe that dent didn't have anything to do with space debris. Maybe, Black Alice straightened and looked around and couldn't convince herself that it was an accident that this box was planted right where Vinny couldn't quite reach it. So what does it do? She muttered. Why am I out here repairing something that fucking hurts? She crouched down again and took another long look at the interface. As an engineer, Black Alice was mostly self-taught. Her implants were secondhand, black market, scavenged, the wet work done by a ghillie on Providence Station. She'd learned the technical vocabulary from Gogglehead Kim before he bought it in a stupid little fight with a ship named the V.I. Ulanov, but what she relied on were her instincts. 
the things she knew without being able to say. So she looked at that box wired into Vinny's spine and all its red and yellow lights, and then she tongued the comm back on and said, Wasabi, this thing don't look so good. What do you mean, don't look so good? Wasabi sounded distracted, and that was just fine. Black Alice made a noise, the auditory equivalent of a shrug. Hmm, I think the node's inflamed. Can we pull it and lock it in somewhere else? No, said Wasabi. It's looking pretty ugly out here. Look, Blackie, unless you want us all to go sailing out into the big empty, we are not pulling that governor. Just fix the fucking thing, would ya? Yes, sir, said Black Alice, thinking hard. The first thing was that Wasabi knew what was going on, knew what the box did, and knew that the Lavinia Watley didn't like it. That wasn't comforting. The second thing was that whatever was going on, it involved the big empty, the cold vastness between the stars. So it wasn't that Vinny wanted to go home. She wanted to go out. It made sense, from what Black Alice knew about Bujums. Their infants lived in the tumult of the gas giant's atmosphere, but as they aged, they pushed higher and higher until they reached the edge of the envelope. And then, following instinct, or maybe the calls of their fellows, nobody knew for sure, they learned to skip, throwing themselves out into the vacuum like earthbirds leaving the nest. And what if, for a Bujum, the solar system was just another nest? Black Alice knew the Lavinia Watley was old for a Bujum. Captain Song was not her first captain, although you never mentioned Captain Smith if you knew what was good for you. So if there was another stage to her life cycle, she might be ready for it. And her crew wasn't letting her go. Jesus and the cold, fishy gods, Black Alice thought. Is this why the Marie Curie ate her crew? Because they wouldn't let her go? She fumbled for her tools, tugging the cords to float them closer and wound up wallowing herself in the bicep with a splicer. And as she was wrestling with it, her headset spoke again. Blackie, can you hurry it up out there? Captain says we're going to have company. Company? She never got to say it, because when she looked up, she saw the shapes faintly limbed in starlight and a chill as cold as a suit leak crept up her neck. There were dozens of them, hundreds. They made her skin crawl and her nerves shudder the way the gillies and bujums never had. They were man-sized, roughly, but they looked like the pseudo-roaches of Venus, the ones Black Alice still had nightmares about, with too many legs and horrible stiff wings. They had ovate, corrugated heads, but no faces, and where their mouths ought to be sprouting writhing tentacles. And some of them carried silver shining cylinders like the canisters in Vinny's subhold. Black Alice wasn't certain if they saw her crouched on the Bujum's hide with only a thin laminate between her and the breath sucker, but she was certain of something else. If they did, they did not care. They disappeared below the curve of the ship toward the airlock Black Alice had exited before clawing her way along the ship's side. They could be a trade delegation come to bargain for the salvaged cargo. Black Alice didn't think even the Mego came in the battalions to talk trade. She meant to wait until the last of them had passed, but they just kept coming. Wasabi wasn't answering her hails. She was on her own and unarmed. She fumbled with her tools, stowing things in any handy pocket, whether it was where the tool went or not. She couldn't see much. Everything was misty. 
It took her several seconds to realize that her visor was fogged because she was crying. Patch cables. Where were the fucking patch cables? She found a two-meter length of fiber optic with the right plugs on the end. One end went into the monitor panel. The other snapped into her suit com. Vinny, she whispered when she thought she had a connection. Vinny, can you hear me? The bioluminescence under Black Alice's boots pulsed once. Gods and little fishes, she thought. And then she drew out her laser-cutting torch and started slicing open the case on the console that Wasabi had called the governor. Wasabi was probably dead by now, or dying. Wasabi, and dog collar, and, well, not dead. If they were lucky, they were dead. Because the opposite of lucky was those canisters the Mego were carrying. She hoped dog collar was lucky. You want to go out, right? She whispered to the Lavinia Watley. Out into the big empty? She'd never been sure how much Vinny understood of what people said, but the light pulsed again. And this thing won't let you. It wasn't a question. She had it open now, and she could see that was what it did. Ugly damn thing. Vinny shivered underneath her, and there was a sudden pulse of noise in her helmet speakers. Screaming. People screaming. I know, Black Alice said. They'll come get me in a minute, I guess. She swallowed hard against the sudden lurch of her stomach. I'm gonna get this thing off you, though. And when they go, you can go, okay? And I'm sorry. I didn't know they were keeping you from... She had to quit talking, or she was really going to puke. Grimly, she fumbled for the tools she needed to disentangle the abomination from Vinny's nervous system. Another pulse of sound. A voice, not a person. Flat and buzzing. And horrible. We do not bargain with thieves. And the scream that time. She'd never heard Captain Song scream before. Black Alice flinched and started counting to slow her breathing. Puking in a suit was the number one badness, but hyperventilating in a suit was a really close second. Her heads-up display was low res and slightly miscalibrated so that everything had a faint shadow double. But the thing that flashed up against her own view of her hands was unmistakable. A question mark. Vinny? Another pulse of screaming and the question mark again. Holy shit, Vinny! Never mind, never mind. They, um, they collect people's brains in canisters, like the canisters in the third subhold. The bioluminescence pulsed once. Black Alice kept working. Her heads up pinged again. Alice. A pause. Question mark. Um, yeah. I figure that's what they'll do with me, too. It looked like they had plenty of canisters to go around. Vinny pulsed, and there was a longer pause while Black Alice doggedly severed connections and loosened bolts. Want? said the Lavinia Watley. Want? Do I want? <laughs> Her laughter sounded bad. Um, no. No, I don't want to be a brain in a jar. But I'm not seeing a lot of choices here. Even if I went comatory, they could catch me. And it kind of sounds like they're mad enough to do it, too. She cleared out all the moorings around the edge of the governor. The case lifted off with a shove and went sailing into the dark. 
Black Alice winced. But then the processor under the cover drifted away from Vinny's hide, and there was just the monofilament tethers and the fat cluster of fiber optic and superconductors to go. Help. I'm doing my best here, Vinny, Black Alice said through her teeth. That got her a fast double pulse, and the Lavinia Watley said, Help. And then, Alice. You want to help me? Black Alice squeaked. A strong pulse, and then the heads up said, Help, Alice. That's really sweet of you, but I'm honestly not sure that there's anything you can do. I mean, it doesn't look like the Migo are mad at you, and I really want to keep it that way. Eat, Alice, said the Lavinia Watley. Black Alice came within a millimeter of taking her own fingers off with the cutting laser. Um, Vinny, um, that's a... Well, I guess it's better than being a brain in a jar. Or suffocating to death in her suit if she went comatory and the Migo didn't come after her. The double pulse again but Black Alice didn't see what she could have missed. As communications went, Eat Alice was pretty goddamn unambiguous. Alice. The Lavinia Watley insisted. Black Alice leaned close, unsplicing the last of the governor's circuits from the Bujum's nervous system. Help, Alice. By eating me? Look, I know what happens to things you eat, and it's not. She bit her tongue, because she did know what happened to things the Lavinia Watley ate. Absorbed, filtered, recycled. Vinny, are you saying you can save me from the Migo? A pulse of agreement. By eating me? Black Alice pursued, needing to be sure she understood. Another pulse of agreement. Black Alice thought about the Lavinia Watley's teeth. How much me are we talking about here? Alice, said the Lavinia Watley, and then the last fiber optic cable parted, and Black Alice, her hands shaking, detached her patch cable and flung the whole mess of it as hard as she could straight up. Maybe it would find a planet with atmosphere and be some little alien kid shooting star. And now she had to decide what to do. She figured she had two choices, really. One, walk back down the Lavinia Watley and find out if the Mego believed in surrender. Two, walk around the Lavinia Watley and into her toothy mouth. Black Alice didn't think the Mego believed in surrender. She tilted her head back for one last clear look at the shiny black infinity of space. Really, there wasn't any choice at all. Because even if she'd misunderstood what Vinny seemed to be trying to tell her, the worst she'd end up was dead, and that was light years better than what the Migo had on offer. Black Alice Bradley loved her ship. She turned to her left and started walking, and the Lavinia Watley's bioluminescence followed her courteously all the way, veins swaying out of her path. Black Alice skirted each of Vinny's eyes as she came to them and each of them blinked at her. And then she reached Vinny's mouth and that magnificent panoply of teeth. Make it quick, Vinny, okay? Said Black Alice and walked into her Leviathan's maw.
Picking her way delicately between razor-sharp teeth, Black Alice had plenty of time to consider the ridiculousness of worrying about the hole in her suit. Vinny's mouth was more like a crystal cave. Once you were inside it, there was no tongue, no palate, just polished, macerating stones, which did not close on Black Alice, to her surprise. If anything, she got the feeling Vinny was holding her breath, or what passed for it. The Bujum was lit inside as well, or was making herself lit for Black Alice's benefit. And as Black Alice clambered inward, the teeth got smaller and fewer, and the tunnel narrowed. Her throat, Alice thought, I'm inside her. And the walls closed down, and she was swallowed. Like a pill, enclosed in the tight sarcophagus of her spacesuit, she felt rippling pressure as peristalsis pushed her along, and then greater pressure, suffocating, savage. One sharp pain, the pop of her ribs as her lungs crushed. Screaming inside a spacesuit was contradictory, too, and with collapsed lungs, she couldn't even do it properly. Alice. She floated in warm darkness, a womb, a bath. She was comfortable. An itchy soreness between her shoulder blades felt like a very mild radiation burn. Alice. A voice she thought she should know. She tried to speak, her mouth gnashed, her teeth ground. Alice, talk here. She tried again, not with her mouth this time. Talk here? The buoyant warm flickered past her. She was drifting. No, swimming. She could feel currents on her skin. Her vision was confused. She blinked and blinked and things were shattered. There was nothing to see anyway, but stars. Alice, talk here. Where am I? Eat, Alice. Vinny, Vinny's voice, but not from the flatness of the heads-up display anymore. Vinny's voice, alive with emotion and nuance and the vastness of herself. You ate me, she said and understood abruptly that the numbness she felt was not shock. It was the boundaries of her body, erased and redrawn. Agreement. Relief. I'm... in you, Vinny? Not a no. More like, this thing is not the same, does not compare to this other thing. Black Alice felt the warmth of space so near a generous star was slipping by her. She felt the swift currents of its gravity and the gravity of its satellites and bent them and tasted them and surfed them faster and faster away. I am you. Ecstatic comprehension, which Black Alice echoed with passionate relief. Not dead. Not dead after all, just transformed, accepted, embraced by her ship, 
whom she embraced in return. Vinny? Where are we going? Ouch. Vinny answered, and in her, Black Alice read the whole great naked wonder of space, approaching faster and faster as Vinny accelerated, reaching for the first great skip that would hurl them into the interstellar darkness of the Big Empty. They were going out somewhere. Out, Black Alice agreed, and told herself not to grieve, not to go mad. This sure beat the swampy hell out of being a brain in a jar. And it occurred to her, as Vinny jumped, the brainless bodies of her crew already digested inside her, that it wouldn't be long before the loss of the Lavinia Watley was a tale told to frighten spacers too. Brains in Jars, Sentient Fungi from Outer Space, Amphibian Gilly People, The Mego, Tentacled Monsters with Buzzing Insectile Voices, and Questions About the Nature of Consciousness and Its Transfer Between Living Beings. All of these things are elements that fascinated Lovecraft and appear repeatedly in his fiction. Howard Phillips Lovecraft died in 1937 at the shockingly young age of 46. He did not live to see the modern ventilator, which replaced the iron lung-type ventilators in the 1950s. As such, he did not live in an era when medical science could produce the effect known as locked-in syndrome. This deeply disturbing phenomena occurs when a person's brain is conscious, but the victim is completely paralyzed and unable to communicate while machines keep you alive. Something similar can also happen during surgery if patients are paralyzed but not given enough anesthesia. Anesthesia is my day job, so it's a problem of which I'm acutely aware. I can't help thinking that Lovecraft would have been horrified and fascinated by modern medicine for this and many other reasons. He was terribly interested in the nature of consciousness. Of course, Boojum also contains types of characters that he was significantly less interested in, namely women. Lavinia Watley, or Waitley, Vinny's namesake, is a slow-witted country girl from Lovecraft's story The Dunwich Horror. She is impregnated by Yog sothoth and gives birth to twin monsters, of which she is stupidly proud. It is implied that she is eventually murdered by one of these offspring. Men have to clean up the mess that she leaves behind. Getting impregnated by monsters is perhaps the primary role of women in Lovecraft's original stories. This is ironic, since what little stability he had in life was given to him by women. His mother, then his wife, then his aunt. Looking back on his life and letters, many modern readers have concluded that he was asexual, but there was no concept of an asexual identity in the early 1900s. His immediate predecessors often assumed he was gay. His horror at the biological mechanism of reproduction is everywhere in his writing, and often seems to color his attitude towards women, which is, at best, dismissive. He can't quite forgive ladies for being the source of disgusting childbirth or the recipients of sexual urges that he so clearly finds icky. I'm not going to delve into Lovecraft's other objectionable attitudes. He had plenty. 
every generation has found reasons to dislike the man. His own generation judged him for his perceived homosexuality. Now we're cool with that, but we judge him for his bigotry. And yet, we keep using his work. Lovecraft was generous with his mythos even in his lifetime, encouraging others to write in his universe and use his creations. He did this even when he was so poor he was subsisting on canned beans. He could hardly afford stamps, yet he corresponded with nearly every interesting writer of the day, including women. He was not successful in his lifetime, yet he had his tentacles, as it were, in everything, and he left behind a body of work in which we still find meaning. I would hope that if Lovecraft were born 30 years ago, he would think differently today. He might very well identify as part of the queer community and find ways to understand himself that were not available in his era. But who knows? Lovecraft is dead, and we're the ones writing the stories. It's our turn. And anyone who has ever tried to support themselves with art can surely understand this. Howard wrote until he was too weak to hold a pencil, almost until the moment he died. He struggled to support himself on his writing with limited success. He died of small bowel cancer, which was probably related to his poor diet, due directly to his inability to sell enough stories to feed himself properly. I feel for him. In spite of his many flaws, I feel for him. Like Lovecraft, the protagonist of Boojum is not a good person. Black Alice is a pirate. She is a murderer and a thief who participates in keeping live brains in jars. In spite of her love for Vinny, she unknowingly participates in Vinny's abuse. But Alice frees Vinny in the end. She gives Vinny a chance to see the stars, to have a more full and interesting life, to grow beyond what Alice can imagine. And maybe, like Vinny, we can swallow Howard Lovecraft erase his sharp edges, incorporate his best parts into our brighter world, take him with us, and then skip out into the stars. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.